Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm gonna be talking to rebels, the -the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. Today's guest is a personal favorite of mine and a domino favorite too. You've probably seen her viral U-shaped lamps in the homes of people like Sarah Sherman Samuel or Christian Siriano, or maybe you've stumbled upon her checkerboard rug that's appropriately named Domino. From her studio in Queens, she and her team churn out the chicest totemic, yes, I said totemic, ceramic lighting and furniture. And today I'm absolutely thrilled to be speaking with designer Annie Lee Parker. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. You are literally one of the dream guests to have. And I know that you're a friend of Domino and this is just really exciting. Yes, I'm so honored to be here and I'm really, really excited. I think we're going to have some fun. Before the fun starts, I need you to complete this sentence. Hi, I'm Annie Lee Parker and I am a rebel blank. Hi, I'm Annie Lee Parker and I am a rebel business owner. Yay. Let's say you're meeting someone at a party for the first time or someone doesn't know who you are. What do you tell them that you do? I always say that I'm a furniture designer. A lot of people kind of say that I'm a ceramicist, but I'm a lot more familiar with the furniture realm because that's what I study for my master's. So I I introduce myself as a furniture and lighting designer. Then that leads perfectly into my next question, which is, do you consider yourself a rebel? I would say that if it means that a lot of times I don't feel the necessity to follow what people think it needs to like happen in order, I feel like I try to make sure that I find ways that make sense for our business, for our team, and just like paving our own path really is more important At the end of the day, my business is my own and I want to make sure that it makes sense for us. So I think that's why I say I'm a rebel in business owning because I don't feel like my business needs to look like anybody else's. Everyone is so different. Yeah, I love that. I want to hear how this kind of got started. Tell me a little bit about your background and why you think that you don't seem to follow the trajectory of a traditional business. I do have this gift where I don't feel the need to compare myself to other people. I think I was very encouraged early on uh, with my mom. Like she always found my strengths. So at an early age, she always encouraged me to do like what I was good at and what I was interested in. So I am also an immigrant. I immigrated from Brazil to Los Angeles, Um, grew up with a single mom who worked so many jobs to make it work. We didn't grow up with any money. And I just had this community who helped me through my career. I just saw people were really behind me and I felt so seen and loved in that way where 
I almost feel like if I don't try my best, if I don't do everything I can to make this work, whatever I'm doing, it doesn't matter if it's owning a business or having a job, I feel like I own it to like so many people who help me out. And it's kind of giving back basically through my efforts and the best of my ability to do whatever I can do. I wonder too, why is this the career path you chose in order to give back to people who have given to you or in order to foster community? Like you could have been a lawyer, you could have been a doctor, you could have been all these different things. I know you said you were always attracted to art, but why is this the medium and could it change? Oh, it absolutely can change. I think that we're lucky, like a very, very lucky generation to get to choose an interest. And like, we have so many resources through the internet in New York. I found something that I was interested in and I could be good at. I don't have to be the best, but if I enjoy it, I want to use that as a medium. And my goals are not to be the best designer. It's not to be known for my work. I have other goals and those goals relate more to like what kind of person I am and what kind of place I'm fostering in my work environment um, and giving back to the community in ways that I can. Whatever I was doing, if it was, you know, being an interior designer, furniture designer for a company, whatever it was, I would still want that mindset. It wouldn't matter what kind of job I had. I'm just lucky that I get to own a job and I have more flexibility to give back. Yeah. I mean, At this point, it seems to me like you could have gone really big with your business or collaborated on things that would have expanded in ways that maybe like you wouldn't have been able to keep up. How important is it for you to keep things small and slow and well-made? I get overwhelmed very easily. And I learned, I learned early on that I love working with my team that I have right now. And I like caring for their personal lives. I like caring for their interests. So to me, keeping my team small is important. That means, you know, saying no to some projects. And I'm constantly asking, like, are we okay on the workload? But regardless, growing pains, I want to keep it minimal. I don't want to get so big where I lose control over who I am and like how I'm doing in my workplace. I want to make sure that my team is seen and heard and we can all grow together. So that's probably one of the most important things in my job. And I've seen so many of my friends grow so big and they get overworked and they feel like they are losing a little bit of their goals. So I had a lot of advice from them as well. It makes me think when I think of an artist, I think sometimes we have this vision of an artist being closed off in a room, making art for themselves. And you hear that sometimes too. Like you hear that advice, like write for yourself or write, create art for yourself. But it makes me wonder who your art is for. Do you make your art because it makes you feel good? Or is it because it makes your clients feel good? Or is it because you want to support your staff and make sure they're feeling fulfilled? Like who is your art for? I think very rarely have I designed or made something that was for me. A lot of the pieces that I've done in the past, including the O lamp, which is our bestseller, some of our bestsellers have always been designed within a brief of a client who needed sconces for their hotel and then a product was born and people really liked it and they kept ordering. It is intimidating to me to ever feel like, oh, like I want to design something for myself or create my own art because sometimes I have a hard time considering myself as an artist. But of course, like I, I love 
proportion. I love colors. I love forms. I love concepts. I love creating things. Those are really fun and it's part of my job. But again, being the best and creating something like to fulfill my existence or something, its that's not how my brain and my heart works. It's beautiful though, because it really means like it's bigger than you. It's not about a lamp. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't have much. I didn't have luxury goods. My mom still doesn't have luxury goods, but she is an incredibly happy human being. I grew up seeing people happy with whatever they had. Mm -hmm. So at an early age, I learned it's not what's going to bring you happiness. It's going to help you be happy with your space. It's fun to look at really pretty things. It's really satisfying when you save up to buy something that you've been wanting for so long. But there's so many things that can help you stay satisfied that it's not rooted in objects or money or status or job titles. And I'm really, really thankful that I learned that through my mom and her friends and community. So that's what works for me. Does it kind of blow your mind that you are presenting at Salone or that people will pay thousands and thousands of dollars for your work? Oh my God, yes. All (laughs) the time. I like stop in the studio and I look around and I just go, I tell the team like, can you, I mean, isn't this crazy? And we get to like, I don't know, in the winters, listen to Harry Potter audible books and like (laughs) make this and like eat together and be here and like work with our hands. I wish we would have cameras so people could watch us. (laughs) People are barefoot dirty everywhere, clay (laughs) hands, making coffee, working, and everybody works so hard. I'm I'm like the one who's like always distracting them, but everybody's just so concentrated, making things, cleaning, like it's so fun that they get to do that and people are helping us stay creative and, you know, making things because it's so therapeutic as well. There's something very visceral. There's something really nice to work with your hands. And it takes a long time. And I'm so thankful that people appreciate that and they pay us to do it. Um, (laughs) But it's also mind blowing. I'm just like, what? It's really fun. I look at your work and I see a lot of different things. So can you tell me about how you even developed your style? Some of your new furniture pieces look so different than some of the lamps that you've created and the checkerboard rug is kind of thrown in there and has a lot of color, which some of your work doesn't have very much color. So like, what do you see as the through line of everything and how did you develop that? I think that's what is kind of nice about our generation. You can try anything. So there's so many things that I try just out of interest and then I post it. And like, if it doesn't work out, it's fine because there wasn't a good response. And like, you know, I move on and I try new things. With style, I see the same thing. Like, you know, people always ask artists and designers, like, what's your design language? Like, how did you Mm -hmm. develop it? I feel liberated. I remember going to the Picasso Museum in Barcelona, and it was divided by the eras of, like, what Picasso went through. And they were all so different. Um, Uh He went through so many phases of styles and people remember him as like whatever they want to remember, but he got to like do anything and everything he wanted. And that was okay. That was part of him becoming his own person and artist. 
I felt liberated after seeing that. I was like, I don't want to focus too much like as a brand. I'm a person still. I change all the time. I have interests and they're going to change. And if people want to follow that, they will. And if they don't, it's okay. Like the world is really big and there are a lot of small independent designers and, and businesses. There's room for everybody. So yeah, like you said, I think a lot of my products that they look very different from each other. Um, but at the same time, I don't think everything organic and bubbly should be placed in one space. You know, there should be yeah. like the color from the rug comes from a best friend. That was a collaboration with Spencer Malinsky, who's my best friend for so long. And she's a print designer and she loves colors and she's so good at it. So she brought that. She pulled that out of me. And that's so fun. I um, love that. Yeah. So it's just kind of like everywhere. And I really enjoy that I get to explore that. When I think about your work too, I think about the size and scale of it. Like some of the pieces are really huge. And I think one of the hardest things to do is to pick the right lampshade for a lamp or like <laughs> I, I, I once dated a guy who was like, Oh, I found this really inexpensive lampshade on Amazon. And when he got it in the mail, it was like three inches tall. Cause he like, didn't look at the size and he just thought it was like, it was like basically for a dollhouse. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, because you really play with scale and some of your bigger pieces have really small shades. Do you have advice for picking out the right lampshade? Cause I think it's very challenging. You know, I study furniture design in school and mm. there are all these like ergonomic rules um, that are very important, especially with seating office chairs and things like that. I love designing lighting and I love looking at things that are like, you're kind of off, but in a funny, cute way, just because like they're objects, they don't have to be so serious. I had this show a few years ago with Love House and my concept to them is that I used to go to these garage sales and they would have all these beautiful shades that were complicated and people don't make them like that anymore. You know, it's a craft that's kind of a little lost. And I felt it was a funny idea because they didn't have a home. They didn't have a body. And I thought, oh, I'll just make a home, a body for these solo lonely shades. And I want to mm -hmm. make it a little quirky, which I think it's fun. Like you are used to seeing things at a certain way, at a certain size. Why not challenge that? Again, it's it doesn't have to be serious. I'm not a serious designer. So I would say just play with it, but make sure you know the sizes of your light bulbs because that's going to be important <laughs> to fit into the shade. And you just said you're not a serious designer, but some of the colors seem kind of serious to me. Is there something that says that like neutrals are more serious? What's the thought behind that? Okay, that I think is interior designer coming out of me. That's what uh -huh. I studied my undergrad and I worked a little bit in interior design. I will say like whenever somebody was renovating their place, the easiest advice for me to give them is the larger pieces, maybe make them neutral. And then mm -hmm. if you want color, maybe use it in like accents, like pillows and things that are easily replaceable for furniture and lighting. Those things usually tend to be things that are more neutral colors, I think age better. And my shapes are kind of like a little wild. So I like to balance things out that way. But obviously we have designers who like sometimes are like, we want lime green. And then I do it and I post it and people love it. So it's, <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. But for me personally, I like to keep colors and artworks and accents and everything else in my house is like more neutral. 
That's interesting. So if the shape is really wild, maybe keep the color neutral. And you could apply that to lots of things like a sofa or a table. But then maybe if it's like a smaller, more traditional item, go in like a crazy color. Yeah, but that's my personal preference. I don't Mm -hmm. think there are any rights and wrongs in homes because it's whatever makes you happy. But yeah, I think my personal opinion, I like to have interesting shapes like in a subtle color and then have loud paintings. But there are people who do a really good job at like putting things like eclectic works together that have a lot of colors. It's very vibrant. Um, I'm just not that person. So you seem very busy. What do you do to recharge when you're not being a design rebel? I recharge a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And then I regret it. Um, I just took a trip. You know, I came back from Salona, had fun. And then my friend and I went to the coast. I love the beach. I love salt water and reading at the beach. I think that's probably my favorite thing to do. And I really like enjoy cooking with friends and hosting and I don't know, doing a lot of wholesome activities. When you think of people who are starting out, like what advice do you give to people who are fellow rebels or want to be rebels? Start small. I'm a very safe person when it comes to business. I've, of course, taken risks, but I'm a made-to-order business. You have to pay 50% deposit. It's non-refundable. It is a safe business model because that means we have to get paid in order to make something So I'm not sitting on inventory. I'm not ordering a bunch of stuff that's going to cost a lot of money up front. Mm -hmm. But I started my business with jewelry. I started Mm. um, making ceramic earrings and I sold to stores and wholesale and direct. And that was really doable because it was small scale. I learned how to package. I learned how to do like the online orders. I learned to make line sheets. I learned to reach out to stores and clients. I even learned that once you sell, that's not the end of it. You have to sell. The client has to use it. Somebody might drop a ceramic earring. It might break. They're going to contact you. What are you going to do about that? You know, it's, it's, to me, it was about the experience, making sure that I didn't, you know, if it broke, accidents happen. I was happy to replace. I wanted everybody to have this positive experience of buying something handmade. All of that taught me so much and I was able to scale up to furniture. So I encourage people to do like maybe start something small to learn all of those things that are going to help you once you do bigger and riskier stuff. What do you think your next act of rebellion will be? Democratic price points. I am working on a collection. We're in the prototyping phase and it's going to, I have one that's going to come out in July, the summer. And then another one's going to come out next year in the spring. And these are collaborations with brands. So the price point is very democratic. It's been a dream of mine. I'm so excited because I, as a small business in New York, with the rent that I have to pay, with everything being handmade, it's not possible. You know, I want it to be approachable, but it's just not feasible for me alone. Mm -hmm. So being able to partner with these companies who like I respect so much and I am enjoying so much the process of it. I feel respected. I feel heard. I feel like I'm learning so much from them and vice versa. No, I feel like this is going to be really exciting. And like everyone will get a chance to have one of your pieces. I know. I'm so excited because the pieces are so cool. 
Okay, I want to go into our Never Have I Ever portion. I'm just going to read the phrase, and then you're going to have to tell me whether or not you've done it. So here we go. Never have I ever arranged my books by color. I have. I absolutely have. (laughs) Not only by color, but I will hide the spine. But there was a time in life where I just wanted to see the pages because then Uh everything would match. Never have I ever bought a knockoff or a replica. I have not. In furniture and lighting, I have not. I can't say the same with shoes. Never have I ever decorated with a pillow that has a phrase on it. Never. Never? Never done that. Mm -mm. No. Okay, next one. Never have I ever lied to my landlord about a rental renovation. Is it lying if I just didn't tell him? Yes. Okay, then, yeah. I mean, my kitchen right now, I fully redid it, but I just replaced the cabinets, the fronts. So I still have all the old ones in storage unit. So I can put it back, but I saved it just in case. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's a full lie, but I just wanted you to tell me the story. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, never have I ever lit a dessert scented candle. I have never. I'm very sensitive to smells. Um, I don't like vanilla things. I don't like this dessert or sugar smells. Yeah, me neither. Although I just got a candle that is Shake Shack (gasps) smelling and it smells like one of... The milkshakes and french fries is the whole candle is milkshake and french fries. And no, it smells amazing. I can't no, lie. Julie, no, no, I can't that's lie. Not, no. That's, oh my God, that sounds not good. I agree that it sounds <laughs> good, but it smells good. Candles for me have to be herbs only, like herbs and like, you know, natural scents, like woods, mm. but no dessert, no sugar smells. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Annie. I was so thrilled to have you. I feel like I learned a lot. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the hundred crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi. And contrary to popular belief, I am not a voiceover actor, yet at least, but I am the Vice President of Technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fadmo and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our Chief Content Officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, 
please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones.